debris. It's about space debris. And it starts off with an action scene, right? I don't think you're understanding. This entire show is about space debris. Yeah, well, when I looked at the trailer, I saw, like, a lot of crazy... Like, we're going to get hard into the plot. Yeah, I saw a lot of crazy stuff. Like, I saw floating bodies, and I believe that, like, there's also going to be episodes that deal with mind reading and clones and portals and parallel universes. I only saw episode one. Right, yeah, but that's just the stuff I got from Ryan Steele, uh, who plays Manola Jones. And then Jonathan Tucker, you recognize where he's from, right? Before we get into all of that, I really just want to concentrate on the plot right now, because... It's kind of a elaborate TV show, albeit convoluted. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just do the quick like synopsis, and I'm not gonna I'm gonna try to make it quick, but I got a lot to say. Okay. We start off with ominous music, and it's escorting this anxious guy as he makes his way into a hotel in New York. And you may ask, what's his deal? Well, he's dealing something. Is he dealing drugs? No. Is he dealing weapons? Is he no? I mean, are you gonna guess? Well, I would, I would guess drugs, but you already said that he's not doing that. He's dealing Pokemon cards. No, he's he's dealing debris. The kids are the the debris that we're talking about. The spaceship debris. Okay, that's what he's he's peddling, and it's about the size of your fist, and he's put it into these little bags. So I guess that we got these buyers who come to his hotel room. They're kind of British, but besides that, we don't know much about them. One would think do, that, yeah, do you, do you even know why they're buying the debris in the first place? Well, the debris is special, obviously, because it's in the title sequence. They talk about it being there for the last six months. Right, It's, a, it's from an alien spacecraft. But I'm saying, like, do you know if they're alien investigators, or do you just know that they're British? Is that all they give you? You know something shady's going down. Hmm. One of them's got tattoos on his fingers. And you have to assume that the main dude who's selling them the debris has done his due diligence. But at the same time, I was also thinking... Why are they picking a spot in New York, one of the most public, surveilled cities in the world, to make this exchange? Like, they pull out this suitcase of money, something that you'd see in any gangster film, and they're basically like, I'll take that debris now. And he's like, well, I've got actually some more of it that I just found. And they're like, oh, we want that too. (laughs) (laughs) And while that's all going down upstairs, we get this rush in downstairs of the FBI, and they're all aware of what's going down. So they've, they've cracked the case already. Okay, so, so like, you can hear them hearing in on the conversation? No, they're rushing into the hotel lobby being like, have you seen this dude? We're looking for this dude. Yeah. Yeah. And the buyers aren't completely dense. They have a guy downstairs who kind of signals them when the FBI runs in, and uh, they skedaddle. The anxious guy, though, the one who was selling them that, he only sold them one piece. He still has a piece. He has to ditch the other piece, like, I don't know, in a drawer in which case, a maid immediately finds it after Yeah, leaves. I mean, if you're going to put it in, like, a hotel room, it, it's going to be found. But before we talk about the maid, he sweatily runs around, <laughs> goes downstairs, and he makes his way to the mezzanine. So he's not down to the ground floor yet. He hasn't escaped, but he's getting cornered. And the next thing we see is that he's jumped, I guess, the last floor and did not make it. He is uh-huh. dead. Okay. Kaput. Do you see him actually die, or do you just, like... Do you see his body on the uh, top of the car that he fell onto? Do you guys hear it though, and then it's cut? It cuts to him. You see or? him fall onto it, but the back of his head. Kind oh, of. Okay, and I assume that's when the intro starts playing. That is well, <laughs> the intro. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's that's when the intro starts playing. You get a lot of splice cuts of the main characters and uh, MI6, Interpol, and we learn later on that this is kind of a combination setup where the two main characters, the two leads, one of them is the FBI guy from Langley. Brian, yeah. The other guy, exactly, Brian. And the other one is Maddox, and she is from MI6 or Interpol. So she, they yeah, make Craig separate, Maddox, yeah. they make separate phone calls away from each other 
almost immediately after that intro scene where they discuss everything that's happened to their boss and their boss provides exposition as to what each other's character is about. (laughs) And so you learn a lot about them then. Like Brian is a flippant ex-prisoner of war with a chip on his shoulder and um, Finola? Yeah, Finola Jones. Why did I call her Maddox? There's another character named Craig Maddox. Oh, I apologize. Yeah, her name is Finola. And I guess I just realized that in my notes. All right. And uh, they don't say her name all the time, or I guess it's just a weirder name to say. It's funny that you're bringing this up because I know that Deadline likes to do this thing where they say most piloty line, and then I think you're basically saying kind of what they said the most piloty line of the show was. But go on. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say her character is like driven by optimism. She's contrast to him in a lot of ways. She's new. She feels like she has to do this for the right thing. While, as I said, he's very ironic and sarcastic, and you can tell that he uh, he doesn't want to show his emotions as right. much as she does. She has no <laughs> problem showing her emotions. MI6, Interpol, they both tell them to get going on this case, find more of the debris that's out there, and uh, that's when we can talk about the maid. So the maid finds the debris in that desk, right? And she immediately touches it. But as soon as she touches it, she's teleported. And we later learn that she's actually phases through 14 floors to the bottom floor and slams into a table and and dies. What does does this... Okay, I was not expecting that. But what does this debris look like? Does it look like it's from It looks like a piece of metal. It looks like a piece of metal that floats. Okay. It it always floats. Oh, okay, yeah. I think I saw some of that in the teaser trailers for it. Yeah, Yeah, and in order, once they find it, they find the dead lady... They basically have to call in the uh, squad who, like, puts different metals around it to ground it. And mm-hmm. then they're able to, like, take it safely. So science fiction science, basically. It's fringe science. So it's pseudoscience. But at the same time, they've created their own, like, reality. So remember, like, Geiger counters are supposed to judge radiation. Yeah. What they call this in order to judge the, like, thing that they're looking for, the this debris... It's called Ligari, and they judge it by, like, Geiger counters, but that calculate LDU, which I think is just all made up. Yeah, well, I, I know that this is made by the same person, the executive producer of Fringe, and also it's been compared to Fringe and Almost Human. Yeah, I haven't seen Almost Human, but I definitely saw Fringe, so yeah, it, it, they like to do a um, parallel world that has very similar kind of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we should also point out that, uh, Finola, her dad is George Jones, who is a famous scientist who was apparently the first astrophysicist that was told about the alien ship. So he was the first one to know. And I guess he was the one who helped the FBI and the, all these groups kind of make a foundation. of is, what he, is he famous in the community? He, well, I mean, uh, Brian makes a passing comment like, I know she, her, who her dad is, but I'm not sure if she's up for the So job. just high authority, basically. And then yeah. also we learn that her mom has died recently. Oh, okay. All right. So then we get a scene where this is just cutaway scene mm-hmm. where there's this mom driving through the cornfields of Wichita, Kansas, and she's taking her nine-year-old kid uh, just down the plains when her nose starts bleeding, or from her eyes start bleeding. Her eyes start bleeding? Yeah, her eyes start bleeding. She starts coughing, and then she kind of just freezes up. And the kid, with curly-haired kid, right, mm-hmm. he just doesn't even flinch. He just kind of steps out of the car door, opens the front door, unbuckles her seatbelt, and lets her just float away into the cornfield. He's what? a psychopath. <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait, so, so he unbuckles the seatbelt, the mom floats away as her eyes are bleeding, and she just floats into the cornfield? Yes. I think I described <laughs> that pretty accurately. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, so the team, 
who's able to calculate these debris events because of the LDU thing that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. They find these incidents that occur. And so they run out to Wichita to find out what's going on. They find the mom like connected to barbed wire, like she's gotten caught because she was floating in, yeah. in a direction. And they uncut her from the uh, from the wire. How? Like, do they? Well, get... see, the thing is, it's really dumb. They, they're trying to like speculate as to how she could end up floating like this because right. it's the first incident where they've seen a human being influenced in this way. Right. Yeah. And so they speculate maybe the debris had gotten into her lungs somehow. Maybe it was airborne. But none of them, none of the FBI, none of these people are taking safety precautions. None of them are wearing masks. So I assume COVID doesn't exist. None of them Not are wearing world, gloves. Yeah. None of them are wearing any sort of safety equipment that you'd expect with this type of molecule that they're like right. super like crazy about. Yeah, I mean, they need to figure out about it. You think they'd have proper equipment. So he, he, at one point, Brian takes out one glove, he cuts the wire, and then she starts to like float in a general vicinity away from so them. So she still is floating after she got... Yeah, yes, and she's been there away. for like a day. And so they follow her for like 100 yards, and then suddenly they find three more bodies in a whirlwind, sort of dust devil type huh, thing. Okay. And they're all just floating uh, with... In a, a circle? With a bunch of dust. Yes, in a circle. It's like a loading screen, but with humans. <laughs> yeah, but it's also very dusty, and you have to wonder how they found her before they found all that other people. Right. Like, it was the full FBI squad there, and they hadn't bothered to go past scope, that. The area, yeah. Yeah, scope the area <laughs> to see if there was anything else going on. But the next scene we see is all the bodies have been taken and put into a plane hangar, which is supposed to be anonymous, away from any civilian life. Mm -hmm. And they've been looking up where these people are from. They're all from the surrounding area, but they don't really have any connections with each other. You kind of had this lady doing an autopsy. Are they are they still floating as this is happening? They're floating above their beds, but they're not moving. So I don't know. They, like, again, they didn't explain who took them out of that like whirlwind they were in or who moved them there. Right. They just assumed that we would put it together in our heads, but I was too stupid to. I just, and I was like, what? Um, and then the mom's eyes open, the one that we originally saw. The one that had his eyes bleeding originally. Yeah, so apparently they're still alive, but the doctor is like 100% cool with it. She didn't even freak out. She just walks over and she's like, yeah, they're still alive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they have no impulses. Apparently they're able to map their brain and they're like, yeah, they, they just don't want to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> so they're lazy. <laughs> the investigation continues. You have Brian and Finola. They're running around. And they also find a huge boulder's worth of the debris. Okay, that, so, so that's outside. At this point in time, where would you say we are time-wise in the pilot? Uh, twenty to thirty minutes, or okay. like twenty to halfway in. Okay, so that's that's pretty. I guess. I mean, there, there's stuff going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, I know that the show has been trying to like dig really deep. They wanted to do kind of what a, the Belko experiment, the film tried to do, where they tried to bring in like deeper meanings and deeper questions. As yeah, to we're gonna get into that. Alive. Pretty emotional stuff. Yeah. Not my favorite part of the show, but we do have to talk about this. So the kid who was in the back of the car, the one who let his mom fly out or whatever. Right. We find out through CCTV footage that she never had a kid. So. So it, they're it, kind of curious as to what's going on and who that is. Yeah, the kid wasn't hers. Mm -hmm. You said that the kid acted like a psychopath. So yeah, there's something weird with him. So then they go to one of the houses of the other victims of the people who are floating and they find a picture of the kid along with his sister. And the kid is named Kieran. Kieran. Yeah. Kieran, okay. And his sister's named Isla. And she goes to a boarding school that's seven miles away. They make a big deal about it. 
And she, they call her and they're like, hey, have you seen your brother around? There's something weird going on. And she's like, what are you talking about? My brother died seven years or seven months ago okay, in a car accident. Yeah. So then I'm immediately like, oh, this is hereditary. Yeah. Um, because he literally has the same curly hair as the girl did. In right. And he's in a car. And yeah. There's that too. Yeah. Um, so then we look and we get a shot from Kieran too. And what he does is he waits outside restaurants and he lures single women into driving him around and thinking they're that thinking that they're his mom as soon as they touch him they fall under his spell and then they so recreate the power they yes. recreate his last drive before he is murdered like before wow, he okay. before he died right and and so he, so you say he lures these one do they always float to the cornfield yeah like the, he always takes them down the same stretch of land and then they have the same freak out and he, he will figure out why he does that later on Again, it's very convoluted, and the way they figure it out is just by talking it out with one another, which made no sense. Mm -hmm. The FBI lingers around the house instead of, like, moving away from the giant debris, even though they know that the giant debris, a similar piece that was found in the Ozark, had, like, taken out an entire lake. But instead of quarantining the, yeah. instead of quarantining it, Brian and Finola decide to just linger around and interview the sister and also say things like, um, are we supposed to believe that the, the debris just... Um, took him out of the ground and put meat back on his bones. <laughs> and then the, the Fanola, of course, is like, no, of course not. He was cremated. <laughs> so, so it's filled with like these like cheesy lines. No, these aren't supposed to be funny. These are supposed to be dramatic. Yeah, I, I heard this show. It, it has it humorous parts, but it, but it very much is like not supposed to be just a comedy. Yeah, and some of the dialogue between these two main characters is rough. Like Fanola, she is borderline religious sometimes when she comes across with the stuff she talks about with debris she's like the debris manifested my dead mother and felt my longing okay and, so yeah that's to which strange. of course the only acceptable response by brian was but it only registered an 85 on the ldu meter <laughs> it was like i it's it mixes sci-fi with emotion but the it just it not authentically it yet yeah. it didn't work and then they make these huge leaps of logic that I hinted at earlier, mm -hmm. where they, based on hearsay of what the sister had told them of a passing comment, they're able to figure out that Kieran uses is using grief as some sort of energy and draining the people that he is taking with him and using them like batteries. And that explains everything, except it doesn't explain the spinning circle. It doesn't explain why they're floating, floating in one area. Out. Like it, it's it's clearly just kind of regurgitation of what we're supposed to know as a audience but that they couldn't find a way of and now creatively it, showing it, it makes a lot more sense with the articles i was reading because they were saying that this show focuses a lot on grief at least the first episode did i'm not sure if any other episodes were given to reviewers early but a lot of them were saying kind of what you were saying that it tries to mesh the two um, like emotions and sci-fi together also finola just doesn't seem like she's experienced enough to do her job like she goes out on her own and starts touching the stuff that the debris is making float again very unsafe and shown what we have with the other people who've like turned into floating bodies why would you do that is she even wearing gloves no she touches one and that's what makes the manifestation of her mom show up and all the bodies start whispering jenna goldland and brian gets a call about that because that's what's going on at the right. hangar and as soon as he tells that to his partner Finola, Finola's like, "That's my mom." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so the leaps in logic—they're—they're they're just like they're almost too big to believe. Well, yeah, but then we get like a quick side note to the buyers from the beginning of the episode, and they are scoping the FBI out, kind of just from the woods. And as soon as the FBI see them, they like ingest some of the debris 
and the, the the people at the beginning ingest some of the debris. The British guys, and they flip over <laughs> to their car, which I assume is like a getaway car. Right. But one of them phases into the like column of the bridge that they're under, and like he's like kill me, and so the guy has to like shoot him, <laughs> and then he goes away. Oh, so okay. like they killed them. One of them accidentally kills himself by phasing into the wrong thing. Um, but that's just a side note. I think that's for, <laughs> right. for more later. Right. Um, not, not in this episode, but later on in the show. So the remaining episodes, you believe, are just going to purely be about the debris. Like, the name it, of the show is Debris. So yeah. it's all about debris. But to conclude this episode, they're able to intercept the newest victim of the kid, mm-hmm. um, who's this lady who thinks that she's his mom, at the um, gas station that they always stop at to buy candy. And for some reason, they only go with the two main leads. Again, they don't go with the full FBI yeah. squad. And so they leave the girl out to talk to the kid. Again, boneheaded yeah. move. And they, they have the guy come and confront the lady. And he's he's not your son. He's my son. <laughs> like that type of argument yeah, in there right. until she starts floating. And he realizes that his partner has just gotten abducted by the kid and was now thinking <laughs> that she was the mom. So Brian th- does the only logical thing, and he says, well, it, it's no use following my partner at this point. She's just going to become a floaty thing. So we're going to find his sister again, and she is going to start Wait. talking to the coma victims, the, the floaty people, and basically ask her mom through all the grief that she can muster to come back to her. And that works. And well, okay. using a big, big emotional speech from uh, not only the daughter, Isla, but also from Brian himself, they're able to egg the parent back into her reality and everybody goes back to normal and they're all okay. And even though they said that the kid had been using their energy like batteries, so you'd think that they'd all be like depleted husks. Apparently they're all completely fine. Was there a big crescendo as the speech was happening? Yes. So the music was very much again, dramatic and a lot was chucked into this episode, so I'll give the episode credit for that, the show credit for trying. It felt like the passage in that way, where you took a lot of material and you tried to stick it in there, but then you just too much like fake emotion. There was a lot of things it reminded me of, like when all this stuff is going on with the debris, the government is, both governments are trying to keep it under wraps. They're also trying to keep the Chinese and the Russians at bay and these like buyers who are sketchy, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like Men in Black, where there's this cover-up going on for the rest of the world that isn't supposed to be aware of it. And as soon as they started talking about how the debris acted and how if you touched it or interfered with it, stuff started happening in your brain and stuff, that's the protomolecule. That is expanse. <laughs> this the, the entire time I wanted to call it the protomolecule because it literally comes from a spaceship. It's messing with people. It's going to manipulate them. They can't tell if it's good or bad. It is the protomolecule from the expanse show. Yeah, it, it has been somewhat compared to expanse on Reddit. Um, the, that would be an unfair comparison to the story. Yeah, and but the actual like quality. The, 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 <laughs> if this was a protomolecule show, that would be accurate. This has six point four on IMDb, fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, said something pretty funny they said two decades ago this show would have been great hmm i guess because it would be a simpler time when they're when uh, written shows or what was scripted shows had less of a bar to set yeah it was shot in vancouver which is the same place that x files was shot they were trying to go for that same type of vibe um as i mentioned before jonathan tucker i've seen him in a ton of stuff um he was in justified that's uh, where yeah he was like one of the evil guys that yeah by the very end like last five episodes he was in westworld he was also the main character in the donnelly's um he always seems wispy to be, mustache dude. yeah he seems <laughs> to be playing these like really like on edge or kind of crazy characters in here is he anything like that i know he's the protagonist 
protagonist, so it's a little different. Again, I said he sort of is like a Homeland character where he has a chip on his shoulder. He's supposed to play parallel to the optimistic lady, um, sort of a Mulder Scully like you were talking about with the X-Files. Mm-hmm. Where is this relationship going to go? It's, it's very reminiscent of a basic show that wants to have a conf- conflict, conflict between their characters, but also somewhere to go with them. Could you tell there was any difference that happened in the pilot? Because before the pandemic hit, about 80% of the show was shot, but then they had to go on hiatus until November before they could finish the whole entire episode. Did it seem any place like it changed at all? Mm, no, I guess the, the the very ending twist that we didn't even talk about here is that he gets a call and he finds out that those people who are the buyers were British mm-hmm, right. because they found the dead body. Right. And that means that they could be connected to and also that they worked for George uh, Jones and George Jones is Vanilla Jones father. right? Yes. Yeah. And so he's like, what are you not telling me? First of all, they want him to now spy on the MI6 lady, which, again, is very reminiscent to most scripted shows that right. do this. Yeah. But then also they're rebuilding the ship. So okay. in the in this hangar in the middle of nowhere, kind of like uh, what Nevada, mm-hmm. what was it called? Area 51. They're putting every single piece that they find of the debris back into its place, like the Iron Giant. And it's going to like rebuild itself. I was going to say Doctor Who, Lady in the Fireplace, where they were trying to make that body and they had like the eye and the nose. Um, but when one of the interviewers asked the two main people, because they did a lot of interviews for this show, if they believed in uh, space, like life outside of aliens? space. Yeah, aliens. Both yes. of them basically said yes. Um, Finola's character is supposed to be so much more dream driven. Like she thinks that the debris is a gift. But it it feels like that was scripted for her again. Right, yeah. So so would you say that the biggest problem with this show as of this point is the writing and the exposition that they try to fit in every scene? The heavy empathy that they try to make the character... Because even Brian at the end, he's like, I'm not used to being that emotional. This is something (laughs) really new to me. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) Show me more of the craziness. Show me... Like, the plot was most interesting and most creepy when you had stuff like the kid walking out and you were trying to figure out what the mystery was so i had good so i think the mystery could be a selling point of the show more than the characters let the story make it grow the characters themselves rather than try to force dialogue in them like a walking dead episode that's fair this is a long this is like in a long list of pilot episodes that were greenlit back in 2020 but it has been the longest to be greenlit um, because again it was greenlit back in january of 2020 uh before the pandemic i think that they had to switch up uh the story because of the way in which everything happened and also the ending felt like a bad supernatural episode i bet well yeah you know where you find out that i think they're literally have been episodes of supernatural where you find out that a kid is imagining something happening and it has like manifested into reality and all they have to do is tell the kid to stop manifesting it and the kid's in like a coma or something Mm -hmm. and then that stops it this is like the reverse of that because it's the parent who's manifesting the kid (laughs) yeah well i mean yeah i think that this has a big budget and nbc is throwing a lot behind it because they're hoping to have the new type of maybe supernatural or something more successful but just from everything i've read from the reviews i haven't seen that the thing about fringe though is that it didn't always have the best selling point. The pilot certainly wasn't as good as it got. There were some stories that later on made the show what it was as far as uh, showed it to be more interesting and, right. and, and also very creative. And this show isn't necessarily hated as a three and a half out of five on Den of Geek. Um, most people have praised the acting, but they've just said the story at this point is not fully there yet. 
yeah. revelations and more interesting revelations need to be had in order the beginning for the part to... i'd say the part that's supposed to grip you in the, the part with the least of the main characters was sort of interesting because it, it did lead you to believe i thought for a while that we were going to follow the british people as the good guys yeah like i knew that the show had fbi characters in it but i thought it was going to be like split between the two where you would have the bad guys also doing something good and they did hint that because they were working for george jones that the langley people are evil but that brian's not well yeah and i think that uh I know that the reason I asked if they had a lot of stunts is because Jonathan Tucker busted his Achilles heel when he was doing this I've show. Never, I've never heard it per, like put that way. Busted his yeah, Achilles heel? Yeah, that's how one article put it. And apparently it's okay. not his first time with injuries on set. When he was on the set of American Gods, he got hit in the face by an MMA uh, fighter. And he needed stitches, but he didn't want to stop the scene too early because he knew that they were going to need him later on in the day. So they super glued his eyes shut and they did the rest of his scenes before he went to the hospital. Um, like I said, I got a lot of information on him. And I have one truth and three lies here about uh, the main character, Brian, as we've been talking about. But not about the girl? Uh, not no, about Finola? Because Finola, I could only find one interview with her and it was with Brian Bene- Benevente or Jonathan Tucker. I mean, this isn't very progressive of you, but go ahead. Okay, so the first one is Jonathan Tucker also does this thing with his wife where he unburglarizes <laughs> objects where he will go to a friend's house and things that are supposed to be put into like a goodwill basket. He'll instead just leave at his friend's house and then just put there and hope that they find it. Or... It's like an awful thing to do. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> the second one is that he got a role in parenthood by simply asking for it. The third one is he is a huge New York Yankees fan. And the last one is he tried writing a film about his life, but when he pitched it to Universal, they said that they already had something like that in development. The, the last one there. Who pitches their own life? No, which one is true? Oh, which one is true? Yeah. Um, he's a huge New York Yankees fan. No, he's a huge Boston Red Sox fan. I, was, I just threw that in there because it was okay. opposites. It was um, Burglarized's Objects one. I thought by them. I'd that was the most that. creative of all, of all of them. But at the same time, that's like a... I wouldn't be a big well, friend of well, someone well, who does what that. What ends up happening is... I would like, just be like, hey, you left this at my house. Well, he puts it in places where people can like recognize it, but also maybe not. Like he said that he put his baseball trophy once in someone's house. And then like a oh, year so later... Oh, like a practical joke? Yeah, and then a year later, he's like, hey, just I let you know. I you were saying like he was trying to be like pity because like, he's a rich actor now. He was going to leave like gifts in people's houses but not no, tell them no no there's it. stuff that he would usually just like put in a goodwill basket but they instead yeah, just but who, who would put their trophy into it that also seems like a jerk yeah, move but he told his friend he's like yeah i've been having it here in your house for the last year it's been standing on your night shelf and you haven't realized and so wait he had to tell his friend as opposed to his friend that people, takes away the yeah. joke too all right this is just a weird one i'm never gonna get it <laughs> Going back to the show, I know that Collider said that this was a really sad show. They were kind of confused by how depressing it was going to be. The rating for this is TVPG. Do you think they no, could? No, it's, it's TV14. Oh, the one that I saw was that TVPG DSO. I watched it on Peacock, and there was a lot of, like, again, apartments.com ads in the office. They're really trying to sell it. So It's NBC, right? Like, yeah, 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 it's NBC. Um, but you, you don't, So you don't think that being darker would have helped this at all? If they had murdered those people, I don't know. I, I just would have been like, oh, this isn't the same as a Supernatural episode. Is that all we got? Yeah, basically. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.